Everybody, oh my gosh, it's terrible here here in Seattle. I drove up here from from Lakewood to Bellevue. Oh God, it was horrible rain. Well, I don't. So it kind of makes me feel sorry for Hawaii because they're having that huge thing happening over there. But when I first read the highlights, said snow in Hawaii. I went, wait a minute, is it? Wait, wait a minute. I had to turn my head around five times to understand that. But anyway, so it's it's a little bit less hard here, but it's still difficult. So anyway, today, I want to welcome everybody in who's listening today. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. I'm Eileen Grimes, astrologer, and I'm the host. And with me today is Michelangelo. He is from back east in New York. And we are going to be talking about a very interesting, hard to describe him, but, you know, a very interesting composer named Igor, Igor, yeah, Igor Stravinsky, excuse me, almost threw another name in there. So anyway, we're going to be talking about him, and um, we're going to do the Astro Celebrity of the Week on him this week, and then we'll just go right into the material that we've we've put together. And then also we have the Astro News of the Month, that's the first week of the month, so we've got that to do. We've got a few things that are clicking off this month. Last month was kind of crazy, but this month is even more interesting. So we're going to take a look at those. And so it's going to be kind of a fun day. And, you know, we're going to enjoy talking to you and maybe helping you understand a little bit more about uh, composers, especially if you, you are a musician. See, Michelangelo is a musician, and so am I. Um, I first started off in college. I got my degree in music in 1975. And um, I got it in voice, and um, there's a lot of composers that I'm very familiar with, but Stravinsky just kind of missed, I kind of missed the boat on him. So I got to expose myself to him this week, and it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. So anyway, we're going to be doing that today, this hour, and uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we get back here, we're going to do the Astro News of the Week. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. I do like that. I do. I could listen to that just and go to sleep. I mean, that's the stuff that puts me to sleep is that kind of music. Anyway, this is the Astro News of the Month. We do this at the beginning of every month. We talk about what the astrological events that are coming up this month. We already had one, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, and that was on December 1st when Neptune went direct. Now, I don't know how many people noticed 
that um, a few weeks before, maybe three, four weeks before, it was getting really foggy out there. And, and it was really close to my son. It's one degree away from my son. And I was not looking forward to living through that. I thought I could sleep all the way through, but I couldn't. But um, it was a very fuzzy, fuzzy time, almost inexplicable things you can't even really talk about because you don't know what the heck you're thinking. So anyway, that went direct. And I did feel something the next morning when it went uh, direct at about 5.32 a.m. on the 1st here in Washington State. And um, I know I wanted to stay up all night to feel what it feel like and to have it go direct. But I did feel clear-headed in the morning, which I attributed it to that. But, you know, Neptune going retrograde is a very confusing thing, and it, it kind of complicates the actual Neptune function when it's playing out, it means it goes within ourselves. It's more intuitive. It's more intuitive. It's more introspective than it is um, extrospective, or whatever you want to use in the name of that. So anyway, um, it had me really looking at Neptunian issues really deeply, and those are difficult because we can't really tell what they're going to be until they show up. You know, so um, it was uh, an interesting three, four weeks that I went through that. Then once it went forward, things began. I got a little clearer headed. I started to think a little bit more normally. I think I could do things. I could actually speak, right? Last several weeks on the radio, I've just sound completely unintelligible, haven't I, Nathan? <laughs> I just put him on the spot. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I felt kind of like I was goofing up everywhere and making goofs during the, during the during the show, but it's a little bit different this time. So anyway, that happened and that'll be direct in the next for the next several months. Okay, and now we have a solar eclipse. That is tonight. It is at twelve degrees of Sagittarius. And um those people who have anything in their chart around twelve degrees of Sagittarius or you have the other applying degrees, the other uh, mutable signs such as Pisces, Virgo and the other one which I completely, I always forget the fourth one. It's really weird. So anyway, um, so yeah, so we have that. And, um, and that will probably have us look at new ways of doing things in the future. A solar eclipse is like a, a new moon, but it's got the eclipse attached to it. And that can actually make things a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, probably I would call it selfish in some ways because people are really trying to look at what they need to do for themselves. So, but the eclipse always intensifies the new moon uh, like about a hundred times. So we know that things are going to probably happen tonight. We have to watch the news, especially watching the news in Hawaii. I mean, I just can't believe they're going through that over there, but it's crazy. So anyway, now we have the next two, which are on the same date, which is Venus goes retrograde. Oh, goody. Okay. So that doesn't do it that much, about every other year or so, you know, and it is, it is retrograde for, I believe, eight weeks approximately. And so um, it's Venus is about relationships. It's about connecting with people. And usually when it goes retrograde, it's said that usually bring back people from your past that you need to complete things with, you know, and I don't know if that's true, but it did happen once for me on a Venus retrograde. I couldn't believe it. But um, it, it generally brings back old issues up to the top that you haven't really looked at, you know, and it has to do with intimacy and people that you're close to could be maybe just regular relationships, but people you're really close to. So that could be too. And also your beauty. How do you feel about yourself personally? 
as far as your attractiveness. So that has that too. Then finally, we have the full moon at 26 Capricorn on the same day on December 19th. That is right, going to be very close to to the degree of Pluto. We'll be right in that ballpark. So that should be a fairly intense type of thing. So anyway, that's it for that. And now we're going to do the Astro Celebrity of the Week. That was very interesting. You know, I was just making comment to Nathan. It sounds like the, I think it's the oboe player was sounding off key or something, but I think that's probably what he meant to do. So let me bring on our guest right now. He's been sitting there going, I wish he would quit talking and let me speak. Anyway, this is Michelangelo from New York City. Hello, sir. Hi, Eileen. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Boy, you know, and I'm just going to tell you that is the rite of spring, the beginning of it, the introduction to it. And um, he's very well known for that piece. And um, talk to me a little bit about this one. You know, where... well, this is a really interesting one. Uh, this is probably the uh, piece that uh, earned him his reputation as an enfant terrible, because uh, well, there was a, a you know enfant terrible, sort of a, a, a terrible infant, you know, a terrible <sighs> young person who uh, arrives on the scene to upset the the apple cart, so to speak. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And the reason, of course, was that there was a riot at the premiere of the Riot yes, Spring in, right. in 19, 1913 or whatever it was. Yeah, uh, that's right. But that actually was a bassoon in the very high part of its register. Well, that was a bassoon? And I thought it was an oboe. Well, what do well, I know? That anyway. was a bassoon. And uh, the French composer Camille Saint-Saëns, who uh-huh. was sitting in the audience for the premiere, actually got up and left because he thought that the writing for the bassoon was so ungracious and so, uh, you know... Um, on uh inappropriate for right. the instrument it, so yeah. that that was just the start of things okay you know? it I sounded mean, beautiful when it first started with those several notes that obviously establishes yeah, yeah. those tone and then all of a sudden they like, what is he doing you know <laughs> it, it was a very strange sort of um something like he modulated over here and not sure where he went you know what yeah, i mean yeah, no it's it there's a normative level of dissonance that's very high, but the thing that we missed, I was hoping that Nathan would pick it up a bit later, is the end of the introduction that goes into the first movement. You suddenly have these tremendously percussive chopping motifs oh. in the strings. Uh, okay. Uh, highly uh, irregular rhythmically and uh, okay. very He's primitive. Okay, he's going to find it. He's going to find it here. And this is what really caught, there's a tremendously pagan yeah. rhythmic energy to Rite of Spring that really put people off i mean it's okay. the and it's the third of stravinsky's russian ballets you know yes. uh but right. uh it was such and a source of such tremendous too, obviously yeah well i mean the firebird is pretty famous um petrushka maybe a little less so firebird was a was a huge success at uh-huh. its uh at its premiere right. and uh right and petrushka maybe a little less so although petrushka is also very beautiful but okay. the right just caused us a, a scandal, you know, because, oh, sure. of, of, because of what it represented, you know. Well, I mean, and, when you think of all things spring and the rite of spring, obviously the beginning of spring, there's all sorts of chaos going on. And when you're changing oh, yeah. from winter to spring and you could sort of hear that in the music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And there's one, there's, so, sorry. Oops. Hello. Oh, Hello. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just put something on your face. He didn't mean to do that, though. Oh, that's okay. That's <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, just it, um, it seemed as though it, it was kind of like it started off very gently and then kind of went into some tension, 
you know, with those yeah, dissonant you, notes. You, yeah, but you really didn't hear it. I mean, what, believe me, once you hear this this opening of the first actual dance movement, it's like nothing you've ever heard. It's, okay, we're going to play purely that? percussive. If he can find it. Okay, I mean, he thinks not, he has it, so go ahead. Thank okay. you. There we go. Oh, boy. Wow. Okay, so see, that gives you, so you can imagine people thinking, oh, springtime, <laughs> you know, the flowers yeah, right. are coming out in the trees, and then suddenly this tremendously percussive, uh, really very pagan. Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds very yeah. pagan-like, very, very yeah, raw, yeah. you know, yeah, and um, it, it would make people squirm in their seats, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know? And of course, again, highly... Uh, irregular rhythmically you know yes. so the constantly constantly changing meters and you know and that percussive sound that's the strings making that sound you yes know, just I know. sawing away on there well that reminds I mean, me a little really... bit of the mars movement from the planets it's got that same sort of visceral feeling to it yeah well i mean a i'm sure that bit. holst i'm sure that holst had to have been aware of the right when yeah. he was oh, I'm when sure he was composing been. the planets oh um, absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah but that's i mean really something so let's yeah, talk so about his said, chart. Those charts yeah, really let's. very interesting. So you want to go first? Or you? Oh, okay. Let me do give us data here. It's June seventeenth, eighteen eighty-two. About I have twelve p.m. here because my computer would not do twenty-two degrees ascendant of Virgo. It wouldn't do it, and I couldn't get it right. So my has up twenty-seven degrees. It looks very much the same as the other one. And he was born at 12 noon uh, p.m. approximately. Licensed mean time, LMT. And uh, how do you say this? Oranienbaum? Something like that? Oranienbaum. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I was close. Oranienbaum. Yeah. Okay, R Russia. Okay, so he was born there. So, I mean, him being a Gemini anyway. Oh, I want to mention something here. And I found this when I was looking at it. The date that he, they premiered the Rite of Spring. Yeah. Did you look at his transits that day? I think I did, but you go ahead. Oh, Pluto right on his sun. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I believe Neptune was right on his net on Venus or something like that. Both ex those two were exact. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Talk about having an impact. That song would have just been, that piece would have been just like, oh, my God, everybody just kind of wanted, wanted to know what hit them, you know, after yeah. they heard it. So. Yeah, yeah, no question. And I think, as I think I mentioned to you in our private correspondence, solar arc Mars to the ascendant for hmm. for that. Uh, so you yeah, know, um, A little Mars Pluto action there. Oh, yeah, yep, for sure, and definitely in that second part where yeah. you told me to to do that. Yeah, that's sound very Plutonian, very Marshall. You know, so yeah. yeah, those two combined. That's really something. So let's talk about his chart a little bit. So um, he has okay. Let's. Everything is above the horizon except for his north, south north node. So yeah. it's pretty much he's he's a public player, you know, he's out in the public eye. Yeah, I would say that's definitely true. I sort of looked at that, and even though probably it's technically not right, it almost looks like a funnel chart with everything funneled through that north node. Um, right. It's I mean it's not really, but but it has yeah. that appearance. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah. I was thinking, you know, well, what's here that says. What are you supposed to do? Uh, well, that's perfect. North Node yeah. in the third house and Scorpio. Yeah. Perfect for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he went as deep as he could go. And then he went yeah. deeper, you know. Yeah. And, and he had tons of things he was re reading. He was just, he studied everything, I believe. 
Yeah. So, and um, of course, that's a little Gemini, but you know, he's really trying to find a deeper meaning of stuff. Oh, is it time for me to take a break already? Wow, it is. Oh my gosh, I'm six minutes over. <gasps> anyway, well, we got started with it. I was excited. So, anyway, let's take a break right here. And when we get back, we'll talk some more about Mr. Igor Stravinsky. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. <laughs> Trying to find oh here we go. This is a reading or a energy thing. This is energy for people and animals by Wanda Buckner, and it's soul searching for the perfect present for one you love. Then they will. Okay, let's try this again. All right, if they have pets, they'll have love us gift certificate for an animal communication session with Pat and Peep Pat. Pet, you know I should just give this up today. Okay, hang on a minute. Pet and people psychic and healer Wanda Buckner. I'm going to get this on straight. Okay, sessions are one hour in length and include an audio communication as well as clearing and balancing the energy animals' energy field to support their health and happiness. Sessions can be in person and Olymp- at Olympia or at a distance uh, anywhere. Okay, so let's go to Wanda www.wandabuckner.com and select the book book now button to purchase a gift card. Gift cards do not expire, as you know. Again, go to www.wandabuckner.com or call Wanda at 360-491-3187. This is Martha Norwalk every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to Linda Rasmussen at verticalenergyworldwide.com. We cover the world of animals. This week, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our animal friends Sunday. We'll check in with our regulars like Meow Cat Rescue in Kirkland, Seattle Dogs Homeless Program, Help Animals India, and we'll chat with the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga about the holiday events coming up. And we'll unleash the Jingle Cats, Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. Oh, that is so beautiful. I, I mean, I haven't really, I, I tell you, when I did prepare for this show, I tried to bring them all aboard on my, my computer's microphones. It didn't work. So I couldn't really listen. I could hear little notes every now and then. So I really didn't get a chance to really listen to everything, but that's gorgeous. The Firebird Suite, right, Michelangelo? Yep, that's the beginning of the last movement of Firebird. And oh. I remember sitting in the performance of that when I was in college and thinking, wow, this is truly, truly beautiful. Yeah. Wonderful. And of course, this is the interesting thing about Stravinsky, like so many Russians, is that his early period is absolutely saturated with resonances of his homeland. You know? mm-hmm. And I think we can see that with the with the pronounced Cancerian emphasis, you know, with three oh, plants sure. of cancer. Absolutely. Uh, bo- I mean, both, you know, uh, you know, the moon, of course, in its own sign. Yeah. And, uh, and Mercury and and Venus as well. So you know, yeah. there's this remarkable uh, emphasis on that. Uh, yes, exactly. Which is interesting because it's in marked contrast, if you will, to what we might argue is a is a fairly intellectual horoscope. You know, mm-hmm. with the Sun, Jupiter, and Gemini, with Virgo rising, with oh, Uranus sure. and Virgo. But yeah. yet, here's this. Uh, you know, here's this sumptuous component. It's yeah, sumptuous uh, to me. Yeah. It's rich and full of flavor. You know, yeah. and, and what we can hear from that as well, of course, is that he his early mastery of orchestration because he studied uh, with Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov. That's uh, right. 
for yeah. six years before yeah. uh, Rinsky passed. Right. So there's that as well. Yeah. Um, I have to remark too on the Mercury retrograde. I mean, here we have another instance yeah. of a composer with Mercury retrograde, like Robert Schumann, if right. you may recall, who if family wanted him to be a lawyer. Right? Yes, he, they did. And, yeah. and again, probably because he is fairly airy and mm -hmm. you know has that intellectual bent, he wasn't totally uh, uh, against the idea of, of becoming right. a lawyer. He did sort of assiduously, well, not really assiduously, he said he estimated he only attended something like 50 classes out of four years of, of law right. school or so. Right. <laughs> But but it's the same thing. So here's you know he grows up the the son of a, a fairly well known yeah, operatic base, base, base yeah right, right. Yeah. and of course his mother is is maybe they're not quite aristocracy but they're they're fairly high up in in the social echelons in Tsarist Russia right and uh, you know and so he's expected to become a professional man you know uh, yeah and of course the third of of four you know so he's not the youngest or the eldest you know so right. probably. Probably not, even though he did demonstrated this early musical ability, probably not a lot of attention paid to it. Right. You know? That's um, true. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I was thinking, uh, Michelangelo, that yeah. the, well, just listening to that one movement, I keep thinking that was he, did he overlap the romantic time period? No, oh, yeah, he's 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 coming at the at the end of it. Okay, sure. yeah, I, because I could really feel the romantic part of that in, in that Firebird Suite really feel yeah. that yeah yeah i think that's probably the direct legacy of rimsky korsakov okay. who really you know wrote some of the def defining russian masterpieces of that era um yeah. uh, but right. as you can see by the time of the ride of spring which is only you know a couple of years later right or three years later <laughs> stravinsky has moved on yes moved <laughs> just, on to just, say how far just, on he moved is hard just, to say but <laughs> well i mean uh, you can see within the right, you can see all of these innovative uh, things having to do with tonality, mm -hmm. dissonance level, again, the 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 uh, the use to which the instruments are played, the idea of the, of the, the strings being used in that percussion fashion, yes, the, right. the bassoon playing way out of its register, you know, all of these things that are are, you know, hallmarks for modernism in, in yeah. music. And he's certainly right there at the cutting edge of, of all of that. That's exactly right. I agree. Yeah. 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 I, I was thinking that even if he had gone into the law, he would have been okay with Jupiter in the ninth. He would have oh, been yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. would have been good at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. clearly that's a that's a strong vocational indicator for law right there. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. That's kind of why yeah. I mentioned it. So, yeah. yeah. Also, theater, of course, though, and it's 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 so mm -hmm. interesting, you know, that but it's he's really probably best known for those three ballets, yes. and then maybe I think secondarily for the Rake's Progress. Right. He did write a couple of other operas, but it's really the Rake's Progress that uh, okay. that uh, establishes him as a master of operatic composition. Right. Um, yeah. I wonder yeah, how much yeah. he actually studied opera before he wrote about it. I don't know. He he composed in virtually every. Yeah, he seemed natural. Um, form, yeah. yeah. Again, well, that's that Uranus rising, right? There's yep, that, uh, that's for sure. that, G, that Venus Uranus, you know, uh, just... Uh, yeah, it just channels it, practically. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. yeah. And it would be would have been foreign for him to have been other than an iconoclast, I think. It would have been totally against his nature. It know? seems uh, to be, though, that more of those composers in the 20th century and just before and up until the current, they're super... They got to be super uranoids, you know, yeah. because they're breaking every rule before, you know, yeah. and not it seemed like it took longer time to break from one 
type of music into another music. It t- took time, you know. Yeah, to, yeah. Like we went from Baroque and went to Romantic and all that kind of stuff. Um, it took years for it to evolve, you know, yeah. but the stuff ain't evolving like that anymore. It's quicker. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, much quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly Ravel had Uranus right at the top of his chart. Yes, and, he uh, did, yeah. And and Holst, I believe, has it rising as well. Um, yes. Yep. Or I think, or no, opposite Saturn. Saturn rising, but you're in okay. this opposite Saturn. Yeah. But, but yeah, definitely Uranian uh, aspects to all these guys. Yeah, you know, we've because... got quite a few aspects to Uranus. Well, actually, yeah, he does. Yeah. Okay, that makes these squares Jupiter. Oh, that works. Yeah. That oh, wor- yeah. yeah. that works really well. So. Yeah, and yeah. it's not quite stationary, but it's pretty close to stationary. Oh as yeah. Is, what as is? is Pluto. Uranus is. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, moving it at one whatever it is one minute of arc so it's oh pretty, really okay pretty slow yeah i looked yeah, at the yeah. chart i didn't see it but okay that's cool yeah. i always look for that you know yeah yeah because that's the way no, interesting enough no out of bounds planets with stravinsky oh which I thought yeah we might that find, is but, interesting but, uh, yeah 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 but uranus certainly is a is a dominating player yeah because it is close to being stationary and very close to the ascendant of course it seems that you know most people well it seems like Everybody on the planet, but the ones that are more noticed, the ones that are in the in the public eye, and also their composers, you know, they seems like they've got to have one at least one planet that just sticks out like a sore thumb, yeah. you know, and helps yeah. them along with the road. So yeah, well, I mean, the combination of a, a quasi stationary rising Uranus and Mercury retrograde, which are arguably sextile to each other, you know, that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that pretty yeah. that works pretty well. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. And something else that I, I was noticing too, I was noticing um, one was very, very first pieces. I can't remember where I wrote it down here somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. It was a first, very successful thing that happened, happened right on a Saturn return. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Now, which was that? <laughs> I think it was Firebird. Firebird oh, yeah. Him, okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Made him a household world, world overnight. And then yeah. he followed it, said very on quickly on with Petrushka. Yeah. And then Rite of Spring, you know what? It's 29, I think, for Rite of Spring. So, yes, I mean, right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or 31, maybe. But Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it seemed like Saturn was a very strong player in his chart, too, obviously, because it, you know, he, he just catapulted, you know, over steps, it seems like. And it didn't waste his time on much, did he? You know? No, not really. Not really. No, I mean he, he didn't play around with various things. No, he didn't. He just knew what he was going to do. You know, so uh, that's pretty cool. You can tell. Okay, yeah. we got to take another break right here, and this is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. <laughs> On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Jeffrey Mark for a fun-filled hour of classic Christmas movie conversation. It's Hollywood at the Holidays. On Saturday, Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, returns for part two of our interview about his must-read new book, The Afterlife Frequency. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. That is the most, I swear to God, I was listening to Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> you know what I mean? It had that sort of pattery feeling to it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the the Rite of Spring. Uh, sorry, we're not talking about the Rite of Spring. We're talking about the Rake's Progress. That's um, one. Yes, that one. Is really quite an extraordinary opera. I mean, uh, of course, by that time, Stravinsky is what? He's in his 60s, right? Mm-hmm. 19, close to being in his 60s. His reputation is well established. So he's working with top flight librettist W.H. Uh, Auden and Chester Kalman, and they fashioned this beautiful libretto based on Hogarth's uh, famous series of engravings called The Rake's Progress. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah. So it, it really is a, a very interesting blend of things. I mm-hmm. mean, it has a pronounced English flavor for sure. Oh, and for sure. Uh, because of obviously because of Hogarth. And now, uh, when was he living in the United States right around that time? Well, he'd moved, if I remember correctly from my notes, he'd moved in, in 1939, which was oh, okay. uh, roughly right. his Chiron return. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Chiron in the ninth, of course. Right. And uh, yeah, he, so he'd been there. He was in Hollywood for a while and eventually ended up in New York. Uh, yes. And the rake was premiered at the Santa Fe Opera in 1957, I think. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, the, uh, yeah. go ahead. That guy, he sounded like a countertenor. Was that Ian Bostridge? I'm not sure, but he sure sounded like one. Yeah, yeah. That's it's a uh, very high tenor, in other words. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's the first role I ever sang. Oh, really? Progress. Yeah, I, I, in college, and uh, you know, uh, it's, it, I fell in love with it, and I fell in love with neoclassical Stravinsky because even though it still possesses the um, the challenging aspects of his style, because the, the melodies are often extremely angular, mm-hmm. and the harmonies are are very challenging at times. Right. There's a there's a wonderful lyricism to much of the writing that you don't necessarily really hear in in a lot of his earlier works. His he's develops things out of these short motifs. I mean, I think we could hear that with with the Firebird. It's still yeah. very beautiful and very lyrical, but there's not really long arching melodies. No. And with with the rake, Stravinsky actually had to write melodies and he and he wrote some really beautiful ones. The okay. uh, the aria for the soprano is gorgeous. The tenor role is of course is the big role. It's it's got a lot of wonderful writing in it. And uh it really is a masterwork, uh, but okay. it, it's often sung by voices that I think are much too light, uh, which gives it uh, this, yeah. said, this, uh, this quasi GNS flavor. And it seemed like he was, you know, scat, not patter singing, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know? Well, that's the, that's the challenge with the vocal lines is that they're okay. very, very okay. angular. So it, it, you can't quite, there are, there are places where you get more authentic lyrical expansion, right. but right. it's often, you know, they, they wrote a, a wonderfully intelligent libretto with lots of fantastic words. And, and of course, the other thing is that English wasn't Stravinsky's first language. Yeah, that's true. So often there are slight infelicities in in the stresses of, of the uh, right. actual yeah. prosody, you know. And But it's a beautiful work. Uh, I'd actually hope that we would hear the opening. There's a wonderful uh, fanfare and then a beautiful duet for the soprano and the oh, tenor. Oh, darn it. Anyway. But this tenor aria, it's, it's, it's good. It's representative. Yeah, of the style, I mean... For sure. um, it, it reminded it reminds me of Russet Ative, you know, in opera. You know, it's yeah, like well, that, spoken that, word. It's spoken that word. That opening bit was a, was an accompanied recitative. Okay. And then you went in right. and then you went into the aria proper. Um Okay. That's what I yeah. thought. Interesting. Very fascinating. Yeah. Okay. But so can you imagine then the man who wrote the Rite of Spring then writing this little light really quasi Mozartian Yes, right. Opera. Right. Yeah. Uh, Rather light. You know, you know, yep. in comparison yep. to the heavy stuff. Yeah, yep. right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I'm thinking, yeah. like, well, where is that in this chart? Well, it's North Node. It's in yeah. Scorpio in the third house. 
That's yeah, when he that's gets true. really deep. That's that's where he needs to be. But yep. you know, he had to alternate that, I would imagine, to get himself balanced in some way. Because if he was always trudging around in the dark side, you know, that would be very, very depressing to say the least. But if he can Well, I mean, I think I think any composer, I mean all composers in the twentieth century had to confront the question of dissonance. It's mm-hmm. like Schoenberg sort of led the way, but yeah. I mean Schoenberg's music is really not terribly appealing. Uh-huh. You know, it, it he retains the the uh, dramatic gestures of of romanticism, but right. of course it's it's atonal. Yeah. You have people like Alban Berg who was much more successful with that, and then many others. Uh, but Strauss himself looked into the abyss of tonality and said, "Okay, I'm not going there." Yeah, and I think Stravinsky probably, even though he did embrace serialism later in life it was probably something he took on as a, an intellectual challenge, you know? Uh, now, but, when you, know, you say serialism, what are you talking about there? I'm talking about 12 tone composition where the, uh, where okay. the, uh, you know, the melodic material is based on a, a very strictly defined sequence of notes. Okay. All right. Uh, which are, which are then manipulated according to various formulae, oh, you know? I uh, see. Okay. So it's not terribly, romantic or lyrical it, no. it can have moments perhaps yeah. uh, in the hands of a master yeah. and i mean i have to be frank and say i've i've listened to ladder stravinsky after the break and i, I don't find a lot of it hugely appealing mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah but for this period of time you know from uh, probably the late 30s until you know 1951 is the premiere of, of the rake's progress stravinsky immersed himself in this alternative way where he used classical forms you know traditional forms and and he reinvented if you will sort of mozartian harmonies yeah with his own particular palette right you know and uh it's it's really very beautiful a lot a lot of what he wrote during that oh, but the rake in particular some of yeah. it is gorgeous you know yeah. i and- remember reading something about the rake and they said these types of lyrical melodies you would have never heard from Stravinsky when he was younger. It's right. only because he was in a loving relationship and uh, yeah. and he felt that the material deserved it. Uh, so it's, it's well worth a, a, a listen for sure. Right, exactly. You yeah, know, I was thinking yeah. about his relationships that he was married to his first cousin. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Well, yeah, well, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, of course, they, don't, they didn't know then, but we know now about that kind of thing. But um, he was married to her for quite a while. And then she passed yeah. away, and then he married this second woman that he actually had an affair with while he was with his wife. So, yeah, Vera, yeah. Yeah, I always read this stuff. I always... Oh, like, yeah, no, it's very interesting. You know, yeah. like how people manage themselves, how how they were supported and loved by the people that they're with, you know, how important that would be. And I think anybody who's got the slightest bit of romance in them, you've got to have that there. Otherwise, it's just like it's vacant, you know, to have some sort of sort of um you know a very successful type of relationship that would su- be supportive of him you know and and he would come to some sort of feelings about certain things and he would write about it that way you know yeah yeah, so, yeah well and with with pisces on the seventh house cusp you know he obviously oh, yeah. you know, there, That's there why. is a there is a tenderness and an idealism. Oh, think, well, there too, it is. Um, yes, okay. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I yeah, I have mine close to that, but um, I, I have a similar cut with my Pisces son, but you know, it's, it's like, there's just necessary things for certain things to be there. So yeah, yeah that's interesting to me. Yeah. So yeah. let's see, what else are we going to talk about here? Well, um, let me think, 
what's interesting, of course, is this idea that he he did go through these three distinct periods. Now, okay. often often composers evolve gradually, mm-hmm. right? And they there's like for example Rachmaninoff. You know, he went through a noticeable um, period where he kind of had to reinvent himself because, interestingly enough, the, the failure of his first symphony. Uh, and Rimsky-Korsakov, who was, of course, Stravinsky's teacher, right. was instrumental in the failure of Rachmaninoff's first symphony. So he went, in, of course, into this deep depression and had to reinvent himself. But for all intents and purposes, his style continued more or less uninterrupted. You okay. know, there, were, there were new elements that were introduced, but you can see a remarkable congruence of um, expression between those earliest pieces like the first symphony and the, the later masterpieces like the second piano concerto and the symphonic dances right. but Stravinsky literally sort of reinvents himself at, at intervals you know yeah. and, I, yeah. and maybe that has to do with his intellectual predilections and yeah. maybe he would have gotten bored otherwise um, yeah, I was reading about that I was thinking it seems like he would write a bunch of music and then he would before he would leave that function he'd go back and rewrite some of the stuff you know, yeah, 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 and I thought that was interesting because it's maybe because he learned something new that he didn't apply to before, so go back yeah. and redo it, and, and that's to me is kind of Gemini. You know, it is yeah. sort of a Gemini thing to do. You know, to really analyze what you're doing, and then, you know, actually this experience of rewriting stuff would be very fun too. So yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, he wrote the rewrote the Firebird Suite three times. Yeah, I know. You know. Uh, uh, but of course, the, the idea with with Gemini and, and uh, of course, Strauss was also a notable Gemini, right. is that there's such a plethora of creative ideas. Yes. So very hard to sort of uh, contain them, you know, and the constantly wanting to be expressed. Maybe maybe sometimes they're not as uh, meritorious as as other things, but the ideas just come almost unbidden, you know. Yeah. And of course, he is fairly Gemini Geminian with some yes. Geminian. <laughs> <laughs> with sun, sun, Jupiter, and midheaven all in yeah, Gemini. Yeah, and Virgo right? rising. So he's and very, very Mercury, completely yeah, yeah, Mercury. extremely. So yeah. that doesn't surprise me, really, that he would want to constantly keep house revisiting Oak. things. Yeah. yeah, just happen to notice all the places in there that, you know, talk about that. You know, it's just an overwhelming sort of presence in his life, you know, where he's very aware of what he's written, but he wants to go back and re-experience that's what he's written. He might write it differently type of thing, you know? Well, Charles Ives, notoriously, I don't know if you know this, but he, he went back and rewrote earlier pieces. So it would sound like he was more advanced at an earlier phase of his (laughs) musical development. We people only found that out after his death. Oh, Um, when was he born? I'd I'd have to check, but you know, it'd be funny if he was Gemini, but anyway, I, I just think, um, it's, you know, it's the, the mechanics of writing, and, and pulling the ideas out and putting it out on paper, that has to be almost a religious high for him, you know, because oh, yeah. some of us would, you know, when I write, it's not quite like that. Or maybe other people write, you write, oh, you're a Virgo rising. You would love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Virgo moon, Mercury. No, Virgo, Mercury. You Virgo would love Mercury, that. Yeah. You would love that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the function of the, the, the writing, the process of the writing would be different in each one of yeah. those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah, but we could certainly see with that tenth house emphasis that Stravinsky would have always had his eye on the prize. Uh, yes, he certainly monetarily did. as well. Yep, yeah. and he did make a lot of money when he needed to, which is very yep. interesting. 
So, yeah. okay, we got to take another really quick break here, and we'll be right back here with the Jupiter Rising Show right here on K- KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. <laughs> And this is a live read for Susan Bergstrom of the Medicare Exchange. Susan Bergstrom is a licensed agent in Washington and Oregon, helping people obtain security in their lives by providing insurance that deals with final expenses and money for transitioning after a loved one dies. Remember those who are, excuse me, remember those ads on TV represent the entire Medicare process. The only way you can truly find out what you really do need to have and get an honest assessment is to talk to somebody like Susan in person who is an advocate who will always be looking out for the best plan available to you. Open enrollment ends coming up this week, folks. Oh, my gosh, it's almost over. seems like it's gone very fast. It it ends on December 7th. So if you want to get that done between now and December 7th, I would take care of that as soon as possible. So if you want to get that done for your medical coverage, you can contact Susan if you need any assistance at Susan Bergstrom at Medicare Exchange. Her phone number is 253-318-9379. Or you can contact S. Bergstrom at AmericanSeniorBenefits.com as your email. Thanks. This is Eileen Grimes of the Jupiter Rising Show, and did you know that I do private astrological readings? If you have issues or problems in your life that plague you, perhaps an astrological reading would be just the ticket. I've had more than 30 years experience in astrology, and there isn't much I haven't seen, so I know I can help you. You can contact me at 206-816-0546 or go to EileenGrimes.com to make an appointment. Thank you very much, and I'll see you soon. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. Well, now, okay. (laughs) I keep getting surprised every time we pull up a new one. I didn't get to hear that again, but I just sort of figured, well, all right. And so um, that was uh, the, what is it, March Royale from L'Histoire du Soldat. I think. Histoire du soldat. Yeah, the uh, soldier's tale. Yeah. Okay. So this is still technically in his Russian period. Oh, is it? To... So it's earlier on then. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, I forget what year, uh, I think in the 20s. Uh, but, but what we see here is the introduction of elements that are jazz-like. Oh, yeah. Like so many composers, again, yeah. we could go down the list. Ravel, uh, you know, there's interesting stories about Ravel actually sitting in jazz clubs in Paris and you know, uh, later in his career, and he got very interested in jazz. And the the performing ensemble that is associated with L'Histoire du Soldat is very much like a jazz ensemble. Okay. Right. So, um, so we have these now these jazz elements that are introduced into his into his style. Right. It's still, it's still sort of technically his Russian period. It's not neoclassical, but there are these other uh, components to it. And you can again, you can hear the sort of the characteristic irregular rhythms and the interesting. Uh, ornament uh, or I'm sorry, oh yeah the regular rhythms and, just stand right yeah. out yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like um if you would like play all these together and have everybody guess which composer that is would they all say it's Stravinsky if they didn't know it's like all of them are different composers yeah you well the, the, the hallmark of his style I mean if we can really say that is is this one. 
yeah, is this uh, innovative use of rhythm. I mean, I have a little quote here from Philip Glass. He says, um, the idea of pushing the rhythms across the bar lines led the way the rhythmic structure of music became much more fluid and in a certain way spontaneous. Mm -hmm. And he mentions in also Stravinsky's primitive offbeat rhythmic drive. And okay. so that might be quite, you know, noticeable to uh, yeah. Konishanti. Yeah. And you, know, you wouldn't necessarily the, know what time of life it came from either, you know. Yeah. Because no, this one no, was earlier, wouldn't. right? Yeah. yeah, or, yeah not, not as early as the Russian ballets, but before the neoclassical okay. wow. masterpieces, just, yeah. Like he was jumping all over the place. Really yeah, 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 yeah. No, again, yeah. we'd expect that with Gemini. Uh, well, that's know, true, uh, but you yeah. know, but also the time period when he was born, you know, yeah. for uh, anything that anything influential that he wanted to absorb for him to get that feeling into his music would have been so completely different, you know, and yeah. Uh, um, this has really been an inventor listening to this man. Because there's only a couple things. I love the, the Firebird Suite. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. And uh, the other ones, I'm kind of going, eh, I'm not sure. But I think mm -hmm. if I got used to them and listened to them a bit. But I always, every time I listen to a piece of music, I start analyzing it. I feel like, okay, this is where he wrote this and this is what he did here. And this, you know, like, oh, oh yeah. quiet, quiet, quiet. I don't want to hear about it. But, you know, it's, you know, um, having a, degree or background in music like you do you know we kind of yeah. both do the same thing yeah. You know? yeah yeah trying to figure things out you know and you gotta wonder where he was at any of those given points in time you know mm -hmm. when he was writing this strange stuff you mm -hmm. know and i you know i could see why and let me jump off this subject i could see why they re they revolted against the firebird or fire uh, the right yeah the i right could see Right of spring, I can see why they would do it. I could see oh, it. Oh yeah, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> it was like, like nobody had ever heard anything like that. And and on top of that, the the ballet itself was so bizarre. Yeah. By comparison with you know, you know here the French of course were very big on ballets. You know, right from, of course from from the early part of the Romantic period. Right. It's like if you didn't write something for the ballet and an opera, forget it. You were forget done. It. Yeah. So the idea that that Nijinsky, who was choreographed the three Russian bass, had these people running around in sort of these sackcloth things, you know. Dancing like cavemen. I mean, I'm, oh, I'm probably ex exaggerating. It was just a scandal. I mean, it, you know, at the Paris Ballet, Paris Opera. Oh my God! It's just, <laughs> you know, I mean, they they couldn't uh, they no. couldn't uh, even fathom it. And and as I said, people started yelling and screaming and throwing things. I mean, it was really <laughs> awful. <laughs> sort of evoked a Plutonian sort of reaction. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pluto it really to the did sun for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, and it, Mars to the ascendant by uh, a solar arc. I mean, yikes! You know? Yikes I mean, is huge. Yeah, if they'd only known <laughs> yeah. that back then, they may not. Have, well, no, he would have done it anyway, probably because it got a lot of press. I'm sure, and it brought attention to his music. Oh yeah, it yeah. made him even more famous. Oh I mean, yeah, you know, he was already famous because of the Firebird. Right, but, I mean, right of spring. Oh my God, it was like you know. Like, Nobody what is could this man thinking, you know, exactly. Yeah, nobody could escape it. And I mean, and this is the interesting thing, you know, speaking as a composer, obviously not of the of the stature of Stravinsky, but uh -huh. you know, I've written quite a few songs, but I would not be able to write my own settings of other people's texts if I didn't use the regular metric structure. Right. I, I, exactly. You have I to frame it somehow. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. write something in regular meter, even though yeah, you know, I use the uh, you know 
poems that have regular meter, but right. the, the vocal lines that emerge are not, you know, yeah. so we have Stravinsky and these innovators to thank for the, the flexibility that we have as composers in the, you know, the early part of the 21st That's century. That's right. Now, That's exactly know? right. So, yeah. well, my dear, I think we're done with him this week. Okay. Wow. That well, was quite. Well, I would definitely encourage you to listen to the Rake's Progress at some point, Eileen, if you want me to recommend a recording with a better tenor, I can certainly Okay, find that's fine. Yeah, I just picked one out of the <laughs> list. I mean, I didn't know which to do. So, yes. yeah. Okay, that's great. And, you know, what I was thinking about next time when we do the next composer, I was thinking about Chopin. Sure. Yeah. Somebody just asked me about it. You know, yeah. oh, it was it was you, Nathan. <laughs> it was Nathan that asked me. I like Chopin. I want to hear him. So, yeah, we could do him. <laughs> oh, sure. Chopin's very interesting. Yes, yeah. he is very yeah. interesting. So he will be on the next time, I'd say, in about six weeks or so. We'll have him back. Okay, right. my dear, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Happy holidays. Merry thank Christmas. You. Thank have you. Have fun, and I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Okay, so uh, let's see what we have here. We have our upcoming events. Uh, we have my um, horoscope column that's on 1150kknw.com every week. That's on Mondays at about noon. That comes out every week. And then um, let's see, what else have we got? Oh, we really don't have that much going on right now. But um, I will give out my, Michelangelo's um, email address. So if you want to talk to him, it's www. Michelangelo, M-I-C-H-E-L-A-N-G-E-L-O dash medicalastrology.us. That's his email address. And I'm at jupiterrisingshow.com or eileengrimes.com. And let's see, how much time we got? One? Okay, actually, I'm pretty good here. Okay, so next week we have on Ms. Mary Beckman. Mary Beckman is the fantastic... Uh, rock and roll psychic she will be on doing readings with me we're going to have a good time doing that and then after that on the 18th we will have on Jackie Slevin to be talking about her different astrological things so that's it for us today hope you don't mind me messing up but you know getting into sh- this you know uh, today's show is powered by Neptune what <laughs> that was what you weren't going to tell me was that's perfect thank you Thank you very much, Nathan. That's so like what I was today. Thank you. And we will see you all right next week. All next week at on the Jupiter Rising show. We'll see you later. Goodbye.